of you may have seen this article. It was in various news outlets. This is from Reuters. The title of it is South Koreans Lock Themselves Up to Escape the Prison of Daily Life. Anybody see this? So let me read to you a portion of it. For most people, prison is a place to escape from. For South Koreans in need of a break from the demands of everyday life, a day or two in a faux jail is the escape. This prison gives me a sense of freedom, said one individual, a 28-year-old office worker who paid $90 to spend 24 hours locked up in a mock prison. Since 2013, the Prison Inside Me facility in northeast Hongchun has hosted more than 2,000 inmates, many of them stressed office workers and students seeking relief from South Korea's demanding work and academic culture. I was too busy, said Park as she sat in a 54-square-foot cell. I shouldn't be here right now, given the work I need to do, but I decided to pause and look back at myself for a better life. Prison rules are strict. No talking with other inmates, no mobile phones, and no clocks. Clients get a blue prison uniform, a yoga mat, a tea set, a pen, and a notebook. They sleep on the floor. There's a small toilet inside the room, but no mirror. The menu includes steamed sweet potato and a banana shake for dinner and rice porridge for breakfast. And the owner said, some customers are wary of spending 24 or 48 hours in a prison cell until they try it. After a stay in the prison, people say, this is not a prison. The real prison is where we return to. Now, in my conversations with people, I get the sense that a lot of us can relate to that. We are living in a world that is always on, always in motion. There's always access to us. And so sometimes it does feel like the prison is on the outside where um, we're just on this treadmill and we can't actually stop. And we're seeking relief. And so this Christmas season, we thought we would explore what relief looks like through a sermon series entitled, Making Room for the Fullness of God. Making Room for the Fullness of God. And I would suggest that this isn't just for Christmas time. This is going to be for all of life because it's not just at Christmas that we discover we're overly busy and feeling maximized in all directions. But that's really the state of modern life oftentimes as I talk with people and listen to what they're struggling with. And so um, today we're going to focus in particular on the, the portion of that that we're going to need to understand in order for this to work at all. And that is the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God anyway? So would you open with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 3? And we're going to try to answer this question. It's, it's so big that we're going to just be able to take a stab in the right direction. But we're going to give it a shot this morning. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. Please don't be shy about that. We would love to uh, hand you a Bible uh, if, you need a, if you need one this morning. So, great. Mel's going to help out with, with that. Um, okay. So, on page uh, 675 in that Bible that we hand out is where you're going to find um, this particular passage, Ephesians 3.14. And this is a text where Paul is praying for the Ephesians. And ultimately, what his prayer lands on is this prayer for the fullness of God. And, 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 and so, you're going to see, uh, to a degree, how this is, how, how many... Many complicated threads are tied into what the fullness of God is. 
So let me read this uh, before we get started here. Verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we're going to do this in two moves. Today. We're going to talk about the fullness of God, and then I'm going to transition and talk about a particular tool that we can employ to help us to embrace, to receive the fullness of God, and that is stillness. So we're going to talk about that in the second part. But first of all, let's unpack uh, this concept of the fullness of God. And in this prayer, Paul is praying for multiple connected blessings for the Ephesian people and then you know, for you all and for us as well. Um, it's so rich, as I was studying this this week, I just sort of had to sit back in my seat finally and say, you know what, it's going to take a lifetime of wrestling and grappling to understand all the beauty and the nuance that is in this particular passage because it just sort of piles blessing upon blessing upon blessing. So what I can do today really is, is paint with a few broad strokes hopefully getting at this idea of the fullness of God and what that actually entails. So that will be kind of like the beacon for us as over these next week, we look at what it means to make room for the fullness of God. So Paul is praying for Christ to dwell in your hearts so that you might comprehend his love because then you'll know the fullness of God. That's If we were to put that up there, if, if you want some handles to hang on to, it's the dwelling of Christ for the comprehension of the love of Christ because that equals the fullness of God. So Christ dwells there in us through faith by the Spirit. So the way this happens is, is you believe in Christ, you reach out to Christ in faith, trusting in Christ as Lord as Savior, that's the shorthand we often use to talk about the role of Christ in our lives. He's our Lord and our Savior. And some of you may be in a, in a part of your journey where you're just exploring whether or not Jesus is to be your Lord and your Savior. Those are the ways to, to think about this. And the Bible teaches us that the way that you, you say yes to Jesus is by faith. But it's not just sort of a beginning thing. You don't say yes to Jesus one and done. It's this continual living by faith. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. And if you're like me, that's a lesson you're still learning, to learn to walk by faith, trusting in Jesus. And what happens is we need God's strength to be able to do that, to have that kind of faith on a day-in and a day-out basis. We need God's strength 
working in us. And that's what Paul is praying for, that we would have the strength to know and to understand that Christ is dwelling in us. And this really is the essence of who Jesus is. And we celebrate this at Christmas time. Jesus Christ is the presence of God in you. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, which is his name, but which also means God with us. Jesus Christ is God with us, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. And there's going to always be some mystery around the way that God is with us, the way that Christ dwells in us, the way that he strengthens us in our inner being. There's always going to be probably some mystery. And I was, I was trying to think of analogies. I was thinking of my relationship with my wife. We know each other so well that even when we're apart, there's a sense in which she's still with me, right? Wherever I go, I still have her thoughts in my mind, you know, her affections in my heart. There's a degree to which she is with me even when she's not with me. So, so maybe that begins to, to lean in the direction of the way that Christ is with us. But the difference is, my wife doesn't have a Holy Spirit, right? At least I don't think. Sometimes I wonder at uh, the way she seems to know what's already going on uh, with me. But, uh, but, but, but Christ has a Holy Spirit. So, so that increases the capacity and the nature of his dwelling with us because the Bible teaches that the Spirit takes up residence in us. The Spirit of Christ takes up residence in us. So, so then we truly have Christ with us. And if Christ is there, then what Paul is saying is that we have the potential of really understanding his love. And this ends up being the key because if we understand his love, then we will be filled with the fullness of God. So there's the answer to the question. What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? It is to understand the love of Christ. And how do you understand the love of Christ? You understand the love of Christ when Christ dwells in you, in your inner being, by His Spirit and through faith. Now here's the thing. The love of Christ is no small thing to comprehend. Because it's immense. This is what Paul tells us, that the height and the length and the breadth and the depth of the love of Christ is, is surpassing knowledge, and yet he calls us to understand it. So we can understand it in part, but we'll never understand it fully because it's so massive and it's so awesome and it's so great. It's immense. Now, some of you know that I studied classical guitar when I was in college, and when you play the classical guitar, you have to shape your fingernails on your right hand in order to pluck the strings properly. And I spent a good part of a week or more writing a paper one time on how to shape your fingernails to pray, play properly. It was a 10-page paper. And I toiled over this paper to be able... And I had to read a whole book on the subject. So it's even worse than that. Somebody wrote a book on the subject. And there are different philosophies on how to shape your fingernails to get the right sound, Right? And I'm just saying, if, if you can spend that much effort and time understanding how to shape nails to play the guitar, what does that suggest to us about the task of understanding the immense love of God in Jesus Christ? It's, it is immense. It's massive. And that's why Paul prays that we would have the strength 
Do you see that in the text? That's what he's saying. We'd have the strength to comprehend because it's so big, it's so awesome, it's so wonderful that we're going to need strength to comprehend the love of God. But when we do, and as we do, we will be filled with the fullness of God. So right about this time, you might be thinking, well, how am I going to do that? Because I don't even like writing papers on anything, right? <laughs> I'm tired of, you know, how am I, I going to have the strength to, to take on this task of comprehending the love of God in Jesus Christ? It's, it's too much. And right about that point, Paul writes these words in, in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. You don't have to do it on your own. God brings the strength to go on the journey of exploring the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of Christ. God brings, that's why Paul is praying for it, that God would bring you the strength to embark upon this glorious journey of comprehending the incomprehensible. And as you walk this path, you will know the fullness of God. When I was on sabbatical, at the very beginning, I was doing some kind of deep inner personal work, pulling out the broken things in the personal closet, the issues I hadn't dealt with, the things I'd swept under the rug, and, you know, I was feeling beaten and tired and exhausted and had run way too hard for way too long. I'd been working 80 hours a week up until the period of, of leaving, and, and, and there was just this tremendous sort of inner work that needed to be done. And I was reading through the book of Daniel, and I, I shared a portion of this at one point when I returned. I was reading through the book of Daniel, and in the CSB version of the Bible, the way it's described is, is the angel comes and says to Daniel, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. And it was one of those poignant moments where I, I kind of thought to myself, gosh, is that true of me? Am I a man treasured by God? I want to be. In fact, I sort of know because of the work of Jesus Christ that I am, in fact, treasured by God. But if I'm really honest with myself in this moment, I'm not experiencing that. In fact, I don't, I don't know how to grasp onto that. I don't feel like Daniel receiving the word from the angel, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. And that really, that really set me off on a journey because I knew there was something wrong if I couldn't affirm those words spoken to Daniel knowing they were true in Christ of me also. And so you all prayed. Thank you for praying for me when I was on sabbatical. I'm thinking of that in a new light after looking at this text. Paul prays that they would have the strength to comprehend the love of God. And you prayed for me that I would have the strength, in essence, to comprehend the love of God. And so I went on this journey and I began to, I finished the book of Daniel and then I read the book of Job and in the book of Ruth, and First and Second Kings, and Ecclesiastes, and journaling all the while, and First and Second Samuel, and I ended up in the book of Genesis, and I journaled 120 pages throughout the time of my sabbatical, just exploring ultimately the love of God in relation to my broken life. I was reaching out to grasp the breadth and the length 
and the height and the depth of the love of God. And it ended with me in a cabin on the Klamath River in the book of Genesis, reading the story of Jacob. And I'll never forget where God says to Jacob, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. And I, at that point, could finally say yes, because I, I had traversed this long pathway of comprehending the love of God. And, and it was those, that moment that you're sometimes blessed with where you weep tears of joy because the truth of God's love has finally pierced your soul and gone to the deepest parts of your inner being. And that process does all kinds of things to a person. The coming into contact with the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of the love of God does all kinds of things to a person's soul. And, and there's no way we could talk about all that it does here this morning. But one of the things that it does is, is, is it changes you in some significant ways. It changes, it changes your sense of, of what you love and what you're longing for and what you're going after. When you have an encounter with the love of God in Jesus Christ. It fulfills a thirst that can't be fulfilled anywhere else. And you begin to hunger and thirst for that more than the other stuff that you've been going after. In fact, Thomas Chalmers wrote a sermon in the 1800s, and I want to commend this to you. And, and just the, the simple title of the sermon is, is enough to kind of suggest the direction we're going here. The title of the sermon that Thomas Chalmers wrote that became so famous is The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Expulsive meaning expelling. The expulsive power of a new affection. When your pursuit, when your love for God gets, grows, it crowds out the other stuff that's been stealing your attentions. That's what he's saying. When you start hungering and thirsting to understand the love of God in Christ more than anything else, that grows inside of you and begins to overwhelm all the other hunger, hungers and thirsts that you've been going after that will never ultimately satisfy. And the way you increase that is to, to encounter the, the, the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of the love of God. He says it this way. He points out a very uh, important dynamic that's very human. You can't stop hungering for more. As human beings... We're just wired that we're going to keep wanting more. But what you can do is you can change the focus of your hungers and your thirst to something that will actually bring fulfillment. And of course, he makes the argument that Christ is the one who can bring that fulfillment. So we can't stop hunger. You can't just expect people to stop longing for more. That's never going to happen. But you can retrain your, your longings to Christ and find in Christ the ultimate kind of fulfillment that we all are hungering for. And, and, and the beautiful thing is that God is infinite and so we can continually be seeking and learning and growing. And so that, that dynamic of wanting to always learn and wanting more is possible with God because God is infinite. So for all of eternity, we can be on this journey of understanding at a deeper and more profound level the love of Christ. And that, Paul says, is what brings us 
true fulfillment. That is what fills us. That's the fullness of God. And what we want to do during this Christmas season and beyond is think about what does it mean to make room for that fullness of God in our lives? What does it mean to pursue, above and beyond all the other things, the fullness of God? And we need God's strength for this. So, Lord, I'm in the middle here, but I'm going to pray for us that you would rain down your strength upon us to be able to comprehend the extent of your love, the incomprehensible love that you have showered upon us in Christ. We're so privileged and blessed to be on a journey to pursue it, to understand it by degrees with your help more and more fully to transfer all of the less satisfactory loves that we have to this one great love. And so would you be at work in us to bring that about? As we talk about stillness this morning and and silence and solitude in the coming weeks, would you be at work to help us to see with fresh eyes how you want to bring us into contact with the glory of your love? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So over this series, we're going we're gonna to be looking at three different practices to help us make room for the fullness of God. And the first one we're going to look at is, is stillness. The next one is going to be silence. And then we're going to look at solitude after that. So stillness, silence, and solitude. Three ways to begin to make room for the fullness of God in your life. Now, we moderns uh, have created a kind of a new relationship to time. If you were to go back 500 years, you would see that human beings had a very different relationship to time. We've quantified it, right? We have clocks and now phones that are, you know, astronomically precise. We've organized time, and then we seek to maximize our time. The only problem with that is now there's no open spaces in our lives. When's the last time you actually really had to wait with nothing to do? That you didn't even have a phone to pull out and get some extra work done in the meantime. We've we've maximized our time. We've We've created a dynamic where there is no stillness. There's no ceasing of activity. And the result has been that actually we start to feel like the world is maximizing us because we're never off. We're always on, and it's squeezing as much out of us as it can get. That last drop of productivity that might be had while I'm sitting on the bus or while I'm driving in the car or while I'm waiting for somebody who's five minutes late, how many emails can I get done, right? So we've maximized time, but we find that time is then maximizing us in reverse, and it's exhausting, and that's why you have people a few insightful people who are arresting themselves and putting themselves in prison. It's the only way to stop. That's what it means to be arrested, is to stop, to arrest, right? To stop from activity. And there's cheaper ways to get arrested than paying $90. The only problem is you don't get to decide when you get out. So, but that could be good as well. So it's a good start to be still. 
It's a really good start. Stillness is good. It's a good start. In fact, the, the Sabbath principle, which is very much tied into this idea of stillness, stillness um, starts with calling us to be still. What is the Sabbath principle that's all throughout Scripture teach us? It says to stop working one day a week, right? One day a week, you're to stop activity. And they were very serious about this. You, you, you got to be still one day a week. But I want to I try to convince you that it's not merely just stillness that we need. Stillness is a good start, but we have to go beyond that. I want to propose to you something that I'm calling Christian or Christ-centered stillness. Christ-centered stillness takes a step further than just stopping activity. If you look in Psalm 46, which we sang about, what does it say? It says, be still on the one side. That's a good start. And what? And know that I am God. See, be still, that's a good start, but and know that I am God. That's the rest of what happens in our stillness. It's not just stopping activity, that's, that's the beginning, but we also have to receive from God what He wants to bring to us, something about the knowledge of Him, knowing that He's God. It's not enough merely to be still, which is why you can be still and you think you're being still, and maybe you're watching a lot of TV, and at the end of it, you don't feel the fullness of God. You've been still. And don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch TV. There's a time and a place for these things, but we, we, we need to be careful that we don't confuse them. If, if we're making room for the fullness of God, then we need to know that He is God. Or to put it in different terms, we need to comprehend or, or be on the journey of comprehending the love of God, to put it in the Ephesians sense. Or if you're to take the Sabbath, Sabbath principle, the seventh day is a Sabbath, so be still, stop working, but it doesn't stop there. A Sabbath what? To the Lord. It's a Sabbath to the Lord, to focus on the Lord. So, so Christian stillness, there's a lot in our world about stillness, okay, and taking time and all of that, but Christ-centered stillness is being still and knowing that God is God. It's creating space for God to penetrate our inner being with His very personhood. So the point of stillness is so that God can finally penetrate the buffer of busyness and speak to our inner being. All of this busyness, this maximizing of time and scheduling, what it does to us is it really creates a buffer between us and God. Because we're controlling all the inputs. And if we control all the inputs, then God doesn't have much of a say in our lives. And there's something very humble about being still. And as we prayed about, letting God direct us through his word to the ideas and the truths that are most important for our formation. And that requires us to be still. This is why Christmas doesn't really work very well. Because we have this beautiful image of drawing close to the God incarnate, right? Jesus, the, the baby in the manger. We have this image of drawing close 
to God incarnate, you know. And, and what do we do to prepare ourselves for that Christmas morning? We, we redecorate our houses. We add about four or five more parties to the month. And then we decide to thoughtfully shop for every person we care about. It's a recipe for disaster, right? You can't do all that, add all that in, and then expect to have that moment of stillness where you, where you know God. So I love, I, we're, you're going to hear more about this because the Upshaws have decided, you know, we're just not doing that Christmas thing. And they're going to share, uh, Pastor Dante is going to share next week probably more about that. Um, but they have just stripped it down to create this space where they can be still and really focus on what's most important at that time. And my point is not to say you need to do this or do that. Look, we all got to find our way, you know, through it all. My point is what's going to really make you full is to draw close to the Lord and to understand his love for you. That's, that's the gift you really need. And that's the gift you're really meant for and that deep down you are hungering for most fully, to comprehend the love of God, to spend the Sabbath to the Lord. So like many of you, I would say that I'm, I'm a pretty busy person. Um, in fact, somebody laughed when they heard I was talking about stillness. Um, and, and, and that's true. I, I'm, I'm a pretty busy person. Um, I think there's no pride in that. We all work according to our wiring there are people who are wired to work way more intensely than I. There are people that don't work as intensely as I do. We're all wired differently. There's no pride. or It's just, that's it. But I'm going to be a fool, and I am going to say uh, that I do take pride in this, that I am a Sabbath keeper. I am a Sabbath keeper. I don't know that if, if this has been clear to everybody, because I think it's clear that I work really hard. But I don't know if you know, I am a Sabbath keeper. In fact, I was trying to think back on, and so I take my Sabbath on Friday because Sunday is kind of a work day for me. Um, it's not a Sabbath day, and I love it. It's great. It's a great day. I love Sunday. I love to have meetings afterwards and meet with people, um, but the process of preaching and everything is not a Sabbath for me, um, though I love it. So I need a Sabbath day, and so a different day is Friday, and on my Fridays, I protect them very carefully. Uh, in fact, I was trying to remember, I think since... Um, I came back from sabbatical. There's been maybe one Friday during which I did some work. So God has given me the grace to protect that time. And it's come through some really hard lessons of failure and not protecting it and seeing the result of what happens afterwards and really finally coming to love this idea of stillness. And so I am very still on my Sabbath. I try to stay away from my phone, trying to have any much of an agenda. I spend time with the Lord. That's a long time with the Lord, reading scripture and journaling. And, and you, that's not your schedule. Sunday is your Sabbath most likely. So what does it mean to come to church with an attitude of worship and just resting in the presence of God? To just, to just take a moment to be still. That's what we want. Now, sometimes there's some Sundays where you're going to come, you're going to help out. That's okay. But other Sundays where you get to just come and, and be still. And that's what we want. For you to be able to have a Sabbath, to be able to rest, to be still, and then to go home and, and to spend a leisurely afternoon. Is that possible with friends or not with friends? 
whatever is going to be life-giving, but to keep the attention on the Lord. The Sabbath is to be to the Lord. And so in this process for me, I've learned some lessons, and I just want to close sharing a few little bullet points about being still, the things that I've learned about being still. And this is from somebody who has crashed hard, okay, over and over again on this subject. So um, I'm a work in progress, but God has been teaching me some things about the importance of being still, of stopping working, of Sabbathing. I would say this, a few quick things. Stillness is hardest in the beginning because you're, you're going at a high speed and, and it could take a long time to slow down. I would say I was, by the end of my Sabbath, my sabbatical, the three-month sabbatical, I was still slowing down. There was one day I was sitting along the river, I was watching the water go by, and it was awesome. And just watching the water go by, and I thought to myself, you know, I should get up and go back to the cabin. And before I acted on that, like another hour had passed with me just watching the water go by. I had really taken the RPMs down finally and was able to just be, and it was okay. Now, we can't get there all the time in life. There's no way. But I'll tell you this. If you practice every week getting some still time, then you become more adept at slowing down. And your body will even start to anticipate, if it's a regular thing, that I'm going to slow down and I'm going to Sabbath on this particular chunk of time. So it's hardest at first. Just know that. Don't be put off by it. I would say this, number two, screen time is usually, I'm going to be generous, usually not still time. I think this is a confusion that we often have. We think that when we're sitting and watching TV that we're being still. We're being still, but maybe not in the Christ-centered sense. Now, sometimes the screen can be the medium through which we're reading the Scripture or learning something or listening to something that's going to be helpful. So I'm not going to say it's always wrong, but we need to be really careful that we don't substitute that still time with intakes that are not focused on the Lord. Because it says, remember, be still and know that I am, that I am God. Be still and I know, and know me. It's know me. Know my love. Know, know who I am for you and, 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 and who I want to be in your life. Number three, I'm just going to say it this way. Scripture is not too complicated. Because I think some... They hear me talking like this and say, yeah, but you know when I try to open my Bible, it's just too complicated. I don't understand everything that's going on, and so I just give up on it. I was talking to my son the other day about Avengers, and he was telling me about, like, the shield connected to the, and the Ragnar rock, and the, the, and my head is spinning. And I'm like, you can keep track of all that. You can read the Bible. It's not harder than that. Or like the intricacies of the creed, Rocky, whatever, and all the relationships there. If you can hold all that in check, you can read your Bible. And if, you're, if you don't understand the overarching arc of the Bible, I will, I, I, we do this in one of our classes. We go through the whole Bible storyline in 45 minutes. I will sit down with you and walk you through it in 45 minutes. And you will have a framework under which to put all of the pieces of the Bible so just email me. It will be the best use of my time. I would love to do that. If you don't understand the whole overarching framework of the Bible, let's get together and talk about it. It's not too complicated. It's the Word of God. If you're going to understand the love of God, it's just going to mean you getting in your Bible. And I don't care if you want to read it or listen to it. Either's fine. Listen to it over and over again. 
got to get in your Bible if you're going to understand the love of God. And then what uh, makes time, uh, what we make time for are the things that we treasure. Um, recently, and this is the kind of thing we want to be looking for um, if, if we can. And I was watching a movie with the family, and I thought to myself, you know what, if I keep watching this movie, I'm not going to have time in the morning to be with the Lord. And I got up from the movie, and I went to bed. And I thought to myself, that's the kind of thing, by God's grace, that I want to see more of in my life. That my hunger is being transferred. That I want so desperately to have time with God that I'm willing to make sacrifices of other things. Like Thomas Chalmers says, right? The expulsive power of a new affection, a love for God. And then lastly, I would just say this. Remember that when you are still, God is working. This is one of the most motivating things for me because I'm a, I, I, I fall on that control side of things and getting lots done, put a period on it is one of my famous phrases these days. You know, I want to get stuff done. And so if I'm going to take a stillness time, it's not going to be getting done. But what I have to remember is that when I'm still, God is working. And that empowers me to embrace the stillness. Because I know there's somebody who's got a lot more power than I have to continue to get the stuff done. And think about Jesus in this light. You know, he was bound at the end of his life. He was silent before his accusers. He was on the cross. And then he was in the tomb, sealed up. Those are moments of stillness. Those are moments of passivity, right? Those are moments of humility. Those are moments of not getting anything done. And yet, come to find out, he was accomplishing the greatest thing that's ever been accomplished in the history of the world. Might that be true for us as we embrace the call to stillness? So God, would you help us to have the courage, to have the strength, to have the insight, to have the wisdom, to have the love for you, to clear the decks and get with you in ways that are going to help us to see in fresh light the height and the depth and the, the expanse of your love for us. This is the thing that's going to meet the deepest need of our heart. So would you, would you draw us along the pathway of greater and greater comprehension? Would you just draw us down the pathway to know you more? And would, would, would the affection we have for you and the understanding of your love for us grow inside of us to crowd out all the other unhealthy desires and longings that we set ourselves upon? Would you become number one in our affections? Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being Emmanuel, God, with us. Thank you for your spirit who indwells us. Thank you for the strength to know you, to comprehend the immensity of your love. We open ourselves to, we give ourselves to you, Lord, this morning for you to do that work in us in the coming weeks and days as we continue to try to make room for your fullness.
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.